Hello and welcome to the very first ever episode of the Complete Tech Heads podcast with me, Tom Edwards. It's going to be a place where I'll be discussing all things technology, including social media, including AI, including digital marketing, search, consumer tech, basically anything that I find interesting and hope that you will too. You may already have noticed that the uh, podcast itself is named after a great British entrepreneur in Chibadi G. Um, and so there is a fair amount of a business angle here as well, I think. So on to my first ever guest. Uh, so this week I am speaking with Benji Vaughan. Benji is a entrepreneur, a founder, the founder and CEO of a company called Disciple Media, which is a place where creators and businesses can build communities outside of the traditional social platforms. Um, but Benji's also a really interesting guy with a really interesting background. He uh, was a psychedelic trance musician um, and record label exec, I suppose you would call him. Um, so his background is very much in the music industry and he's a, clearly a really creative guy. Uh, if you're watching the video version of this, you'll be able to see he's got a, a whole array of different random musical instruments in the background. Um, so we talk a bit about music. We talk a lot about AI, which is something that Benji's been experimenting with a lot. Um, we talk about communities, we talk about creating connections in the digital world, and we talk a fair bit about Disciple Media and where they're at at the moment. Um, the company itself has worked with uh, all sorts of different characters, um, including uh, the Rolling Stones. Uh, they started off in the music world, but they've got a whole bunch of different influences, fitness influences, nutrition, nutrition influences, all of that kind of good stuff. So lots of interesting stuff in there. I hope you enjoy the conversation. I certainly did. Um, and please do let me know if you have any thoughts, questions or, or anything else. Um, I would love to hear them. This is the very first episode, so I'm looking to get all the feedback I can. Well, that's it from me. Uh, I hope you enjoy the conversation. And without further ado, here is Benji Vaughan. Benji, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Good to see you. Uh, for the people listening, this is the third time that we've recorded this intro um, due to a few minor technical hitches but welcome to my very first ever podcast it is an honor to be here as i've said for the third time <laughs> um, great and so for the third time um obviously i know you very well uh we have worked together in the past um but for our listeners could you give me a brief intro to yourself and to disciple media Sure. So I uh, started out my working life in the music industry as a electronic music producer and a partner at an independent label. Uh, through that work, I built a fascination with um, building fan bases, audiences, communities, and started to really see in a kind of enabled world how massively valuable a committed deeply engaged community was to initially a music uh brand or record label um and then step set up disciple because i saw this problem where everyone was committing these valuable audiences they had to um things like facebook and uh twitter and that as that kind of social media evolved there might become 
they might evolve a new market, which is a new market for, for businesses such as musicians and creators to build their own communities on their own platforms where they own the relationship with their community members and they can really kind of define the culture and uh, the outcomes they're looking to get from an online community. And that was kind of why we started Disciple. Initially, it was a um, it was purely around building uh, specialised communities around Pacific bands, like we were people like the Rolling Stones over here in the UK, Luke Bryan over in the US. Um, and then we started to see a lot of the dynamics going on in the music world. I build up a fan base on social media and then try and own that relationship, that fan base was starting to be mimicked in the world of online creators. Um, and Disciple, as we know it today, started in, when was it, late 2018. Um, and it's really a platform to help uh, online creators own the relationship with their, their core communities so that they can build thriving revenue-generating businesses out of them without being totally um, enslaved or captured by social media platforms. Right. And so the problem that you're solving essentially is that basically if I, if I get like, you know, 5,000 followers on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter or whatever it may be in order to actually speak to those followers, I'm enthralled to the, the algorithm at all times. Right. Like, and I usually ever access like 1% of your audience on like Instagram or something. So your uh, solution to that problem is to create apps or spaces online that people own themselves and so they can talk to all of them and they don't have to they don't have to rely on the algorithm to distribute for them. Yeah, exactly. And social media platforms are very much um one size fits all platforms. And that 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 model they they force everyone into is a model of scale. You have to build up millions and millions of followers that are then going to monetize effectively through selling your audience to brands, whether that's through sponsorship or through ad roll. Right. Um, which is great for the kind of archetypal influencer, but there's a huge amount of, of value that can exist in somebody having 10,000 followers, 5,000 followers. We've got people with 1,000, 2,000 people inside their disciple communities, but the members are paying, you know, upwards of a thousand dollars a year to be members. So they create great little businesses out of them. And so um, it's what we would refer to in the marketing world as, as very bottom of funnel, right? Like exactly. uh, there is, is very highly engaged audiences. So you're not going for the scale at the top end. I guess lots of your, lots of your customers have got big audiences on social media already, but they bring people into the funnel and they, the most highly engaged yeah, exactly. I mean, a classic example, you know, we were, I'm, I'm not going to give any names away here, but we work with a creator who... Um, well, you've you've already given us the Rolling Stones. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> can't, get much, can't get much bigger <laughs> than that. Um, we work with a creator who's a... Uh, whose main social channel is Instagram. Um, on Instagram, she posts about getting fit, healthy nutrition, these kind of things. Um, she's got about a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, so a big, big audience, but not enough to generate big revenue from. Right. But she's managed to get build a community with us of, I think it's currently sitting at about eight thousand members, and they're paying twenty dollars a month. Wow, you do the math. So she's she's generating one and a half, two million dollars a year, um, and that business is hers. All those members are hers. The date is hers. 
she's totally customized her Pacific use case, her Pacific audience, the kind of culture and vibe she wants to build in her community. It's it's her business. We're just an enabler providing a software platform. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I mean, that is that's incredible numbers. And you can't, you, you, there's nowhere else that you can do that with the big boys, is there? Have no kind of no because they're not built for that. They're um, it's like comparing Amazon to Shopify is often so if you know you, yeah. you could everyone in the world could just sell their stuff through Amazon but by doing that they would totally water down their brand they fight for the bottom on price yeah whereas you can go to Shopify build a beautiful store that really has a special brand and a special um, aesthetic to it which is going to attract a specific that gets drawn to that brand and the values of that brand it's, it's a it's a different way of doing things and both are valid yeah yeah and so for the most part then we're talking uh like fitness influences i guess like nutrition um like but you've also got a few like like uh, strange ones right have you still got the the cow you've still cow got a few strange ones we've got some pretty wacky ones on there What's happened over time is we've really started, you know, when we launched this in 2018, we kind of just thought, um, okay, we're going to build a platform where creators can build their business. The, the sort of way we thought is they build their audience on social media and then they build their business with Disciple. What we've learned over time is there is this new kind of middle class of the creator economy being built, which is fundamentally about people who have um, – an expertise in a certain area it's typically right. around personal development or professional development um both of which people are willing to pay money for uh you know if it's going to be about getting fitter getting healthier getting your mind stronger having a better perspective on life or becoming a better digital marketing or python coder you're going to want to join a place where you can get access to the best content you can network with the best people around that area and you get certain individuals who are building up a it's less, you know, in the old world of the creative economy, it's about building influence. Our typical customers are building reputation around a very specialist area. Right. Where they can then take that reputation into their own platform and people are going to really commit to building their professional or personal development through the both access to that that host, but also really importantly, access to the network of other people who join their their communities so this is this is the 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 subsection that you recently wrote that was it a blog or a linkedin post i, I think i saw i, yeah, I saw I it on linkedin a, i don't know if it was a, a blog LinkedIn or... post i think it was called uh we found the creator uh middle class and it's middle-aged right yeah exactly right so, <laughs> so yeah because that's kind of it's a little bit uh, slightly clickbaity, but the, the... no, no, but I th I found it really interesting. I mean, look, you know, neither of us are, are massively spring chickens, um, but like, <laughs> I found it found it interesting because I, I think you are seeing more more of that. You are seeing more people kind of realizing that. I think you know, you mentioned to me offline, you're sort of saying, often it's the kind of people that would, you know, go into consultancy, right? They've built up a lifetime of expertise, whereas now what they're doing with it is taking that into digital communities and getting subscribers and presumably scaling much quicker and than being they able to be scale able to way do. beyond they used to be able to totally you know i saw a, a um a report recently 70 percent of people earning over 100 grand a year as creators are over 40 today 
Wow, really? Yeah. That's an incredible stat. Yeah. Um, Because you you just assume that it's just, you know, cool, young. You just assume it's kids talking. Still, we could think it's kids talking about video games, et cetera. But it's it's really, there's still this, this, um, Thing that greaters and influencers are the same influencers are generally younger uh they're generally you know if you're an influencer you want to stick purely on social channels it's about scale of audience yeah. on the, on if you're an influencer but cre- the the notion of a creator is diversified massively and there's this huge market appearing of people who have an expertise and generally if you're going to have an expertise you need to have experience and that takes years to build up yeah People are well, getting in. I mean, yeah, that's it. We're going to talk about AI in a bit, but exactly, you know. they get to like they get that like 10, 15 years under their belt in a specialist career, and they're suddenly realizing that that expertise they have is hugely valuable if they can build a a community around it. Um, so yeah, that's the kind of you know, there's a recent community called Chief that launched in the US, it launched in 2019. Chief, it's a it's okay. a community for um, female business leaders. Um, it launched in 2019. It just raised money at a valuation of 1.1 billion wow. on the back of 20,000 members. So these businesses become hugely valuable, hugely quickly, yeah. because you've got people who really want personal professional development. They're willing to pay a lot for it. They want access to like-minded people. Not going to get that on LinkedIn or Facebook. Yeah. If you can be the person that creates that that kind of magnet that draws those people in, and builds a network, it can scale exponentially very quickly. It's very very sticky, and these businesses are really starting to get get hugely valuable. Yeah, subscribers, real real actual subscribers, not just click a button <laughs> subscribers, but actual exactly. real life legit subscribers that you can then interact with on on, on a much more meaningful and purposeful level i guess than you tend to do in yeah. like, the comment section or whatever and we really think we think very deeply about this at disciple that in a world that's changing faster and faster and going through such rapid technological change individuals in this society special especially kind of information workers people working in in software engineering law finance these kind of areas which are going to hugely disrupted over the next few years yeah they can't rely on whatever company they're working for today to be where their professional development takes place they right. need to have that yeah. bed that solid thing that wherever they're working they come back to the community that they're part of which is a network of people that can support them and help them through this rapid change that's going on help them retool reskill as as things go through this profound change yeah, well, I mean, you know, speaking of 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 all of the changes in the world, like that everything is being disrupted by AI. And like even as as you're talking, you, you know, when you're talking about people who've built up these years and years of expertise and like, you know, lawyers and uh, you know, these these jobs that that require a deep wealth of knowledge built up over many years, I feel mm-hmm. like actually, you know, a lot of that is now replicable with with LLMs, right? You can you can ask yeah. ChatGPT something that you previously would ask a lawyer, and okay, it might hallucinate a load of nonsense in its answer, but you know it's passing the bar exam, etc. Like, how big is the risk? Do you think to the type of creators that come to your platform 
from disruption by AI? Um, I think that AI, that our typical customer at Disciple is, is a huge opportunity. Yeah. I think it, it creates the need for communities or creates the urgency for communities, makes that urgency even more profound than it was two years ago. Yeah, um, people need to have that constant thing that they're part of where there's real human connection going on, where there's the network that's between them. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the, the AI tools that are coming online at such a rapid rate enable our customers to do a huge amount more with less resource. One of the difficulties of building an online community at scale is, is resource. And AI profoundly changes their ability to rapidly generate content, rapidly generate um, insights into their community. So a lot of that kind of asymmetry, for example, exists between social media platforms like Facebook and independent communities starts to get evened out because AI enables them to figure out things like who to connect members together with, to really understand their community and manage the, to, we're already, we're building tools at Disciple now that not only help them create content, um, help them analyze their data better, but it starts to say to them, you know, you should connect these two members together. They've got a lot in common. So it starts to, building a community of, of real value is really resource heavy. And AI is shifting and, and making enabling, making it a lot easier and making independent communities a lot more powerful. And it's really, as I say, starting to take away that, that massive advantage that social platforms have because of their huge data sets and the AI they've been using for 10 years. Yeah. You can now apply to a community with 500 people and build huge value from it. Yeah. I mean, so I also think about, I mean, I think about this a lot and, I wonder if in the future we're likely to get a like a human premium, you know, in the same way now that like handmade things are more valuable because there's a real person behind it. And yes, of course, you could get a factory replicated version from, you know, like China or whatever. Actually, having some artisan who's who's built something for you uh, commands a premium because it's it's there's 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 a real human being there. I wonder if we we're going to start getting to a, a point where that human premium is going to be applied to interpersonal connection in things like the communities that you're talking about, but also in like, you know, business in, you know, marketing agencies and, and, and stuff like that. Yes. You might have an option where we'll just pump out loads of content for you using chat GPT and, and mid journey, or, you know, the premium version you'll actually get real human beings thinking and spending time agonizing over being creative on your behalf and i mean do you ever do you ever think about that kind of idea and that that yeah yeah i think premium? i think about that a lot i think the the slightly dystopian future where we are all online on social platforms but and but whether we're talking to a human or to a chatbot or to an ai yeah. Uh, chatbot is is truly terrifying it's already like that a bit i think like it's if i look at my point. inbox i feel like a lot of the emails are the are just been pumped out exactly. you know, the sales really, emails. Yeah, i think over the next 
years that's really going to get um, very difficult for society as a whole. And I think that will really make people value real connection, as in real world connection. I think it will make small vetted communities more valuable where it's very clear, like the host of this community is not allowing uh, trolls and bots to just kind of run the conversation here. Yeah. Uh, and then on the other side, I think a lot about its impact on um, art, whether that's music art, writing, uh, visual art, filmmaking. And uh, I think there's, it's already getting to the, the point where the craft of, of being an artist is getting taken over by AI, mm. um, which is going to make it very tough to be an artist in any field. But the reality is, from my experience so far of AI, it can replicate the craft. It can't replicate humans' desire to express something that connects with other humans. Yeah, yeah, I think that's... And that it will never be able to figure out how to do, which is going to fundamentally, you know, it's tough, but it's going to mean a lot of people won't be able to make a living in it anymore because they're craftsmen. They're not expressing something uniquely human to other humans yeah um yeah. But those it's, are, it's just those people... art is just communication right and when you boil it right down it's just an artist saying something to thousands of other people exactly. in, a, in a unique way yeah so there's i can't remember there's a quote i always like to rip to to uh rip off and i can't remember who it came from um but it's it's it go, i've forgotten what it is now but it goes along the lines of Entertainment um, engages minds, uh, but art changes minds. Nice. And I don't think, I can't see AI changing minds, moving human culture forward. That's what humans do. Yeah. Well, I It'll think be it's... extremely it's... good at replicating those things and just, you know, and sort of creating froth that keeps people engaged. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I don't think... Um, the Picassos, Bob Dylan's, Beatles, Aphex Twins of the world need to be worried. No, I, I think it's it's. I mean, because like if you, you could get, I'm sure, a very um, a very good like uh, like ersatz Bob Dylan out out of an AI, right? You could get a simulacrum of, of Bob Dylan, very convincingly. Yeah. I'm sure. Like I've seen, there's a, there's an Oasis AI that kind of sounded quite a bit like oasis but also like weird as well and not exactly yeah. there um but like there, there are a few like this this drake uh, i'm sure you'll have seen that and kanye people have done but they're still imitating right like it's not it's like still imitation, they haven't made the the next kanye or the next drake and next humans oasis. generally most you know you can see i'm sitting in a room full of synth but uh you know botching stuff together in here what humans do really well <laughs> is they tend to imitate stuff and in the process through through error come up with stuff that's totally unique yeah i don't see ai doing that it's 
you know, I think it's tough. I think there could well be a lot less musicians and um, writers and uh, creative writers, that is, and, and visual artists in 10 years' time. Well, I've, um, I, so I wonder, right, so because, yes, you, you're going to get a lot of output, but within the art, in the arts especially, I just wonder if people are actually going to care because like, you know, I've, I've, I've heard somebody make this comparison before. So it's, it's not mine, but if you look at uh, like chess now, right? Like computers are vastly better than humans at chess and that's like measurable. Um, mm -hmm. But nobody sits around watching Stockfish play itself. You know, yes. people still, we still watch Magnus Carlsen, right? Cause he's the best human. Yeah. And so we still yeah, yeah, kind totally. of want, want to, you know, um, engage with, the human being who's doing something really hard because we can empathize with it and we can sort of you know like hero worship him if you're a if yeah you're a that's a, that's a, i hadn't thought that's a really good analogy i mean so you can see that being like, the like eyes, you can go right? and see a go and see a hologram of of abba performing today which is great because they obviously <laughs> can't be bothered to go on the stage themselves but <laughs> yeah. it's not well, the I, same I don't, thing. I don't know if they'd make it with they've got to be they've got to be getting on by now <laughs> exactly they wouldn't fit in the cat seats anymore <laughs> um but it's yeah so I, I you know and at the same time i'm sitting, sitting here saying these things i've just been for the first time in about 10 years making music recently and i'm getting to the point of being able to release it and all these AI tools are just making it amazing. I bet. I bet. I used to work with I used to work with a, a um an album artist called Thorgerson. It's absolutely genius, amazing man. He did all the like Pink Floyd stuff in the 70s, Led Zeppelin, Peter Gabriel, amazing dude, who really sadly died about seven, eight years ago. Um and I'm now able to speak to Midjourney and say, look, I want something along the lines of what Storm would do in this and prompt it and get stuff back. I'm like, wow, that is so cool. Amazing. And it's not like I still have to make the decision whether I like it and then kind of saying that that's good, but now let's take that idea and evolve it. That stuff used to just be a nightmare and it actually used to mean some people, you know, in the old days I'd have had to hire an agency for thousands of pounds, which is creating employment, etc. That I'm no longer doing, which has downsides but purely selfishly for the creative side it's unbelievable yeah and and you you're a uh for 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 any listeners who, who aren't aware of your musical background you're you're an electronic musician right so you yeah. would you would uh well i would suppose that actually this would slot into your kind of musical creative process much more quickly and easily and naturally than like you know an acoustic singer songwriter or whatever who's yeah, yeah. probably got all the tools they need they've got a mic and i'm using guitar. a new tool that um google made called well, I don't know how much it called. came out about a week ago it's the only thing i've found so far that's good and it's the classic case it's called um ai test kitchen okay and i haven't heard of that i'll check it, it out it, they say when you go to it and load it up okay you know prompt it with um create me a jazz tune or a soft piano tune. It sounds absolutely awful. But the, the <laughs> <That's great. laughs> awful for electronic stuff is amazing because I say to it things like, give it a prompt of a piano falling down the stairs. And I get this incredible like 
these weird noises that I can then put in Ableton and, and piss around with. Amazing. You know, that's the kind of classic thing where, you know, it's, as much as it's hard to tell at this point, but a lot of these technologies, they appear and and you think it's going to put a whole load of people out of work. And then it just turns out a whole load of new people appear and figure out how to manipulate and create things we could never have imagined that needed the humans to have that creativity to do that. Well, that's like the bull case, isn't it? That it just yeah. sparks this incredible creative revolution all over the world we all become massively productive and and you know just living standards skyrocket everywhere which i it kind of i'm definitely a bull case i'm 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 slightly skeptical at this point having spent a lot of time playing around with with language models and all these tools the last six months i'm getting very skeptical of big tech companies telling governments it's time to put up the drawbridge Right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, what, so what side are you, you want, on then on the regulation? Well, you so, want, I think I'm my. I think I smell a rat. Okay. Big tech companies telling governments, lobbying governments, pull up the drawbridge so that we own this. We're the only ones you can trust to have this incredibly powerful technology. So Amazon, Google, Facebook, OpenAI, stroke Microsoft just continue to dominate and get it ever more powerful. And suddenly we find those regulations where I cannot have, as I do, my own language model sitting on my laptop, building my own stuff with it. So you've got, and, you've, you've built your own large language model then. So you're not using. I've got my stool that I've downloaded from something called Hugging Face. Oh, did and you? Oh, wow. Training. Okay. Exciting. Yeah. yeah. So but I get suspicious. Great, I'm loving it. Tell I'm about doing that. with it. But I get very suspicious when I hear big tech companies telling, whispering into the ears of of our governments, telling us we're we're the only ones you can trust with this stuff because we they were certainly not trustworthy when it came to things like social media and using our data. No, well, I mean, yeah, and and the, so clearly there is a real danger about. AI, like yeah. So, are you aware of the Doomers? Um, I'm very aware of the Doomers. Yeah. Okay. Good, right. So, yeah, I'm not. I, I won't do the whole background of that. But just suffice it to say, there is a legitimate case for some kind of governmental oversight to prevent artificial intelligence destroying all of humanity. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, but that's like there's a there's a there's a. I think there's a slight confluence of two things that are different. There's yeah. the potential of AI in general AI to to make humans extinct and to take over the world and suddenly it's like Terminator and um but that's not what large language models are. They are not anywhere near that kind of stuff. And everyone is they're hugely powerful and they have the ability to fundamentally disrupt Silicon Valley in millions of ways and transfer trillions of dollars of 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 market cap away from dominant businesses today but they're not suddenly going to be creating cyborgs that wander around shooting us all that's and i think we're slightly getting there's a slight thing where the two things have been mixed together we're not at the cusp of general ai today we just have some really cool models that can predict what you're about to write next yeah so uh, yeah and, and look i i think i am i am with you i, I think the 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 real doomer concern is not GPT four, right? It's like GPT six or seven, if they keep going, 
um and like and how how smart will that be and then what will its incremental goals be you know you give it an objective but you know it it start it, it can create incremental goals for itself on the way to that objective and, and one of them might be you know wipe out all humans but i do think i do think that we're not there yet and i think there is definitely a concern about government overreach at this moment where it is so exciting and there is so much grassroots development of you know people in their attic you know with their broken guitars and keyboards yeah. building large it's, language makes, models and doing exciting it stuff. really makes me realize how boring tech has been the last 10 years yeah, it's crazy, isn't Nothing's it? Nothing's been going on. It's basically been people building big databases and shoving a, a front end on themselves as a SaaS company. <laughs> it's pretty boring. Um, yeah, this I mean, feels I like it feels like 1998 again, where it's like. <laughs> 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 uh, so tell tell me about your uh, large language model then. So what what are you? Um, what so are you I'm doing? just um, I am fiddling around trying to build a really good system for, for for small businesses to be able to create their own um, models on their own data. Okay. So you can, I'm using it for that purpose and I'm also using it to, to spit out. There's a, there's a really interesting um, company that's, I think a spin-off uh, stability AI that lets you, train um can upload my audio to it okay and it will it will start to then spit out it's only trained on my music and it'll start to spit out stuff that sounds currently like total garbage but it's quite fun garbage for building uh, electronic music it's really just like a, it's a suit of things I'm playing with, but I've, I've never used Twitter, really. I'm now addicted to Twitter every day. And I go, oh, my God, there's a new thing I've got to try now, you know, because yeah. it's moving so fast. So are you, are you addicted to Twitter post-Elon? I'm just addicted to Twitter post-people posting uh, the latest little gadget that's powered by language models or by yeah. diffusion models. Yeah. Um and it seems the best place to to stay up to date in what seems to be exponentially improving and getting like the, the amount of products coming out every day is just mind blowing. Yeah, I know it's scary. Uh, and like I, I my, my kind of view on it as someone you know who works in the tech industry, sort of you know somewhat tangentially as a marketer. I'm not a developer, but as someone who works in the industry, um, I feel like I need to keep up to date with it. And I just feel like I'm sprinting all day, every day to try, you know, and, yeah. like, and I just, you just can't. I, I agree that Twitter's like the, but an amazing place for AI news, updates, recommendations, all of that stuff. Um, and I'm I'm addicted to it like you are. I'm, I'm on it all the time. But it's impossible to keep up with everything. Like, I just don't. No, know. totally. I'm sort of, um, I go down Pacific rabbit holes for about a week or so. I've kind of actually haven't been on the music rabbit hole for about, two or three weeks now i'm now fairly fixated on the you know i've just, i've built something uh over the weekend where i took every single investor report that berkshire hathaway's released and made this little robot that is an amazing analyst of berkshire hathaway it's just a brilliant little i was giving me advice on investing on in you know give me tips on coca-cola and when coca-cola goes up when it goes down 
that's just based on some public information. It's like, I can't remember, I think there were 40 investor reports, annual reports, Bosch Hathaway has done. I could get my hands on it, train this thing over an afternoon, and now it sits there in this, this little expert on Berkshire Hathaway. Are you planning on uh, selling access anytime soon? No, it was just an experiment on on something I'm uh, I'm kind of exploring. It was just it was just an example of like I didn't do anything. I just downloaded some tools, chucked these PDFs in there. Yeah, yeah. Half an hour later, there's this absolutely brilliant analyst. I mean, it makes you wonder about what the what what big finance is doing, and like you know, like what the what the you know rooms full of PhDs working at JP Morgan are doing with all this. It's going to be that. That's an area where I think it's going to get incredibly uh, strange in the next ten years. Not in a sort of humans going extinct sort of strange. Just that when models. Language models and and AI models can access all financial information. Then those models are undoubtedly going to very quickly be better than any single human at making analysis. But you'll end up in this strange world where it's almost not capitalist anymore. Allocation is not based on individual on the market. It yeah. is based on a single artificial intelligence or single mind that is far better at allocating capital and resources than the market the singularity yeah so i do I, so I, I i kind of feel like capitalism might and competition might save us from that fate from the singularity because i i think you kind of already see it now with um you know like microsoft slash open ai and Google have got competing systems. Um, they've also got, they're also competing in other areas, right? So they're competing in search, but they're also competing in uh, advertising in a big way. So there's no mm -hmm. incentive for um, Microsoft to allow Google's LLM, Bard, to talk to the back end of LinkedIn and deliver ads, right? Like, because that if they do that, everybody could just do everything via Google and no one would ever have to, log into LinkedIn and, and and so their their market share will be taken away. Likewise, there's not really any incentive for Google to allow OpenAI to talk to the back end of Google Ads, right? And so I think you're gonna start to see, and you could imagine the same thing in in finance, you know, if if people are developing these models with their own proprietary data sets, they're not going to want to share them with anyone else. And so the different yeah. different businesses are gonna develop these amazing models, but there's still going to be the element of competition that stops all of them interlinking above humans, you know, yeah, yeah. and like, and, and taking over. Absolutely. I think it'll, that, that competitive street, I think you're right. It could be the, create the barriers that stop this sort of everything just coagulating into a one sort of mega mind that outcompetes us. Um, yeah. But it's, um, you can see it in all these industries, but finally, is one of the ones where it seems to be simplest to see AI out competing the individual fairly soon. Um, I can't imagine many fund individual fund managers will be better than AI systems within 10 no. years. No, but they might get luckier. 
right? Because they might they get have... lucky and they might have those sort of weird insights that humans have that turn out to be, you know, those kind of contrarian insights that turn out to be the most valuable ones. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting times either way. Mm. Um, so look, just as we uh, kind of come to, to, to wrap up, there's one other thing that I kind of wanted to, to talk to you about, which is I, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of making a, a video about um, the rise of kind of like loneliness in the digital age um, and how I think that lots of different platforms have contributed to that. Um, particularly like I think dating apps are, are causing big kind of distortions in the way that, that humans interact with each other. Um, I just wanted to see what you think. Obviously you build communities. Some of these communities exist only in the digital realm. Some of them, I think uh, I'm right in saying also have some kind of, um, yeah, uh, you know, realization in, in, in real life, in reality. Um, yeah. I thought I, I just wanted to get your take on like, what, what are the key ingredients of a, a community as we call it and like do you think that this our sense of community has been distorted over the course of the last like 10 years or so and like what are you seeing behind the curtain at disciple um i think if we went back to the world before uh the internet the word community would only mean one thing in your local community. There could be no community because all you had was your local, certainly if you went back, say, 40, 50 years, the vast majority of the world had no other choice in life than to be part of their local community. Um, I think it's quite hard to find, in my experience, that community is not been particularly damaged at this point your local community that you exist in day to day so you know i live in a village outside reading i don't think this community is is getting ripped to pieces by ai and and social media it's the same community it's probably always been i think when we start to think about community as it did 20 years ago then it is being massively changed so, for instance, professional community that you might have once had. So I think you know, I've got an 18-year-old son who's just leaving school this year. I think for him, it's, it's the notion of a professional community or professional life is not really going to exist. Um, because we're already saying things like, okay, let's not really bother going back to work anymore because we can just online. That gives you a mass, you know, whatever the pros and cons of it are, your connection with your colleagues at work, your connection with the culture of the business you work in is massively diluted. I think your professional communities are going to be hugely impacted. And we really need to kind of th think about that because I think young people who go into work today, they leave college, rent a flat in London, say, down in that flat and then spend 10 years on zoom is not good for anyone now they might build a great community around them in wherever they live whether it's in hackney or acton where they live in london they might build a community around them but it's so important i think during your like 20s and 30s 
that community you build through your profession. Um, and I think that's going to cause a lot of problems in the generations coming through now if they don't have that. It's where you sort of spread your wings and start to really understand about a broader community that exists outside of your your kind of location and where you live. And I can see that creating a lot of loneliness and disconnection for for the generations going into today. Yeah. I mean, especially with the with, you know, the rise of AI agents as as, you know, friends. Uh, you know, and I, I think the fact that that dating only ever exists on on apps now, um, it does feel like you know. I feel for the younger generation. You know, like I met my wife in in real life. I wonder how mm. many how many people are going to be able to actually you know meet a, a future spouse yeah. in, in real life because I, I you know from what I'm told it's it's it would be weird to ask someone out in real life now. Has you know, you really got to that point where I I mean I've been. I've been out of the market for decades now, but I can't imagine <laughs> a world where, where it's, I can't imagine a world where you're being fed dates by algorithms. I mean, it's just horrendous to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary, scary stuff. But uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I, it's just it's something I'm interested in. And I, yeah, I, I, I just wonder whether we'll be able to replicate that sense of human connection digitally because i don't think that it's, we i don't think we fully can now and i wonder whether in the future the ais will get so good and so photorealistic and so you know adept at conversation that we just won't know the difference there's an example where we talked a few minutes ago about regulation of ai um i think that you know something which we will probably see within the next five to 10 years is to you know you verify yourself on Twitter or Facebook, you know, verified person if you have some sort of influence that you need to ensure that you are the real person. I think this problem line identity, even before AI has been a problem. And yeah. for once all governments need to take it really seriously that um your identity online needs to be as verifiable as your customers at the airport um and if you're online you can be verified as a real person and if you're not verified then it should be presumed you're you're um you're synthetic <laughs> <laughs> um brilliant well look speaking of uh online identities um where can people find you online i lurk around on linkedin and increasingly twitter i lost you a little bit there but i think i think you said linkedin and twitter <laughs> linkedin and twitter linkedin twitter linkedin's where i talk about communities creators in terms uh twitter's where i talk about ai wonderful well i will link to your uh your profiles and and the disciple website in the show notes um but yeah for now benji vaughan thank you very much for uh for joining it's been wonderful to speak to you absolute pleasure tom thank you thanks benji take care